Well, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your grace to us this day and every day. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the people that you have drawn to this church, people that you have drawn into this classroom this morning. Father, I pray that as we look at uh, Sola Scriptura, Father, that uh, it would be your words that speak and not mine. Father, I pray that we would uh, just have a deeper respect and admiration for those that uh, uh, actually put their life on the line, Father, to uh, uh, to reform uh, the faith and to stand by their beliefs. Oh, Lord, would you uh, again be with us? In Christ's name, amen. Um, <clears throat> if you were here the first week or two, Ryan did a wonderful job of giving the history of the church for the uh, first 1,500 years leading up to October 31st, 1517. And as many of you know, October 31st of this year will be the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation. So I, it's going to take me a little bit less time to go through the Sola Scriptura than it did Ryan to go through 1,500 years. (laughs) (laughs) But it was so interesting, just a side note, I thought it was so interesting and gleaned so much that I did not know about church history that we actually talked, several of the elders talked at breakfast the other morning about having a class, maybe a four-week or six-week class on church history, uh, ending up really by giving a little history about Fort Worth Presbyterian. And um, for those of you that may not be aware, this is our 25th year. Uh, We started in the fall of whatever it was, 25 years ago. So, anyway, I'm glad you're with us this morning. If you have your notes, uh, look at Roman numeral number one. And that is really 1517. That's a typo. 1517, the firestorm begins light after darkness. I don't know how many of you, if any, have been to the city of Geneva. Anyone? But in the old town, the old part of Geneva, there is a large monument with statues out front of John Calvin and some of the other reformers. But on this granite wall, in Latin, are the words um, post tenebros lu. 
Anybody know what that is? It says, after darkness, light. That is what the Reformation brought, was light to the world, light to the Scripture, light to Jesus Christ. On that day, 95 theses were penned by an Augustan monk by the name of Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther had studied theology. He had studied law. Uh, He was 33 years old in 1517. Which is interesting because you see photographs, not photographs, but drawings of Martin Luther. And he appears to be an older man. You know, he has a beard, a little bald up top like you would expect a monk to be. But when he penned this, he was 33 years old. And he obviously started before that date, October 31st, 1517. So he was a young man. Very bright. Uh, And what I'm doing is is giving you a little bit of history before we jump into Sola Scriptura uh, of what happened that day. But there is a door on a church in Wittenberg, the town of Wittenberg, Germany. And that church is part of a much larger castle, uh, which actually... uh, now is school, and it was then, the university. But Martin Luther penned the 95 Theses, nailed them on that door. Uh, It was the day before All Saints Day. Uh, All Saints Day was November 1st of every year, and that's when all the people... Uh, in the region came in to celebrate All Saints, which was a festival and also uh, a time of worship and prayer for the saints that had gone before them. Uh, this was the eve, and uh, which is now called Halloween, which uh, came from Hallowed Eve word hallowed eve but um, many people nailed all types of writings posters announcements announcements on wooden doors at that point in time there was no other means of advertising if you had a speaker coming Uh, If you had a venue uh, at a dance hall or whatever, that's how you advertised. And, of course, in later centuries, these became works of art known as vintage posters. And uh, but so what he did was not unusual. People always nail notices up on the door. But it was what was he what he was saying in this was something that shook the world, okay? And uh, we'll look at that briefly here. Um, 
Does anybody know what these theses, you know what the theses is, what it means? Anybody? No, I know. Not what the content is, what the word means. Thesis. What? It's a statement. Yeah, it's a statement. It's a point you're trying to make. Yeah. But now the context, what was in those, what were those 95 theses, points that Martin Luther had? A lot of them were against the, the Pope. Yeah. You know, the strongly against the Pope, which is the church. Uh, so it was, a, you know, that was the authority. So it was a, it was a statement against the practice of the, of the Pope. Yes, but, but what, what was that practice? Indulgences. Pardon? Indulgences. Yeah. Uh, almost every one of them, if not all were uh, indulgences. And what that was, uh, was simply selling for money, selling indulgences or letters that would be given to the Pope uh, in order to get your loved ones out of purgatory into heaven. Okay? So, guess who went first? Pardon? The rich. The rich. The ones that gave the most money. If I want to get my wife out of purgatory into heaven, you know, I'd (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'd throw a dollar in the coffin. (laughs) But the more you gave... The promise was the faster your loved ones would get out of purgatory and into heaven. And this practice had gone on for a long, long time and continued. Um, There was, if you drop down to Johann Tetzi, do you know who he is? Okay. He is uh, a Catholic, German Catholic, Dominican friar. Uh, He was so good at collecting and had such wit in his tongue. Are you saying Tetzi or Tetzel? Tetzel. I've heard of Tetzel. I'm sorry, Tetzel, not Tetzi. I have Tetzi here. I don't like know him, know him, but yeah. You know who he is? Yeah, he was, yeah. Well, they know him as what we just said. Yeah, he, he was actually given the title of the Grand Commissioner for Indulgences in Germany. He was the Grand Commissioner for uh, Indulgences. Uh, his infamous quote was this. Listen up. As soon as the gold in the casket rings, the rescued soul to heaven springs. <laughs> Were you aware of that? Yeah, I was about, I was about to give my best shot. Something about coin, rings, soul flames. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. 
Why do, we need, why, are, why do we need reform? This sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As soon as that gold in the casket rings, the rescued soul to heaven springs. Um, here, and just to give you an idea of what these 95 theses consisted of, I've listed. Uh, four here and i tell you what it actually um, or we'll look at uh, a response later in a few minutes um, this is number one this is Martin Luther okay when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent Matthew four seventeen, he will the entire life of believers be of one repentance. We all agree to that, would we not? Then number two was this word cannot be understood, talking about <clears throat> repentance, understood as referring to the sacrament of penance, which was in the Catholic Church. That is confession and satisfaction as administered by the clergy. So the clergy told you, you know, whether your repentance was good or bad, or would be accepted or would not be accepted. And that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says your sins are forgiven once and for all. Then 36, any truly repentant Christian has a right to full remission of penalty and guilt without indulgent letters. <coughs> 37, any true Christian, whether living or dead, participates in all the blessings of Christ and the church, and this is granted to him even without indulgence letters. Then this, this last one is very, very good. Number 86, again, <clears throat> why does the Pope today whose wealth is greater than the wealth of the richest, I don't know what that is, Crassus, do you know what that is? Well, anyway, he was a rich man. Why is his wealth greater than Crassus build this one basilica of St. Peter? with his own money rather than the money of poor believers. My guess is if that didn't get him in trouble with the... the other didn't get him in trouble with the Pope, that got him in trouble with the Pope. Um, James, I comment on... Absolutely. Uh, I just want to uh, nuance that first one because it gets into the, into the mind of what Luther was wrestling with, um, which we may get to... Uh, in Romans 1, chapter 17 to 18, were the verses that haunted him. I got that. Okay, good. Um, so his his point in this first one here to be mm-hmm. one of uh, be one of repentance is that our whole life should be a, a picture of repentance ongoing, which means that there has to be some type of grace happening in that in that process, contrasted with what the Catholic Church is doing by saying. When you come and either give indulgences or when you come and do confession, 
from that point on, or, for, or everything before that is forgiven, you're starting over anew. Um, so don't mess up after this. Uh, but when you do, you've got to come back and do this. And he's hitting at, no, 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 no. What Jesus seems to be saying is that we have somehow have the freedom um, of what the Christian life should look like to have all of life be repentance because there's this idea of grace that he hasn't touched at. Does that make sense? Um, it, it's a huge, huge, it haunted him personally because it really drove him crazy when you study his history because he knew, not just internally, that he was sinning all the time. And so this this wrath of God in verse 18 that he alludes to, why is it not coming down on me? And so the story of Luther coming home from this storm, you know, there's this lightning going. I mean, he thought for sure he was going to get struck down. And he had no peace of mind about this, and he wasn't able to reconcile this verse. And so part of this comes out of how it can't be that there's a sort of this moment here where we offer confession, and then there's this repentance. Everything in the past is gone, but now we've got to keep this up. There, there has to be something in between that is allowing us to, the process of making all of our life repentance, and that is actually grace. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I think it's yeah. helpful to... to, to Very good. <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> Tetzel's response to Luther... And these are two of several. Number five, Christians should be taught that the judgment of the Pope in those matters that are of faith and necessary to man's salvation cannot err in the least. In other words, the Pope's word is final, whatever it might be. Number 22, Christians should be taught that those who cherish deliberate doubts about the faith should be most clearly condemned as heretics. Life of Martin Luther, just very briefly after October 31st, 1517, he continued to defend his faith at different councils, colleges. In 1521, he was excommunicated from the church at the Council of Diet of Worms. He refused to recant. And if you remember those famous words of Luther, I don't have them written down, uh, but uh, he said he cannot recant unless his, what was it? Unless scripture convicts me otherwise. Or something yeah. else. Not good to go against conscience. Yes. Um, he was kidnapped, literally, by some of his friends and hidden at Wartburg Castle. And there he begins translating the New Testament into German, which he did. He comes out of hiding, then this is what's so interesting. He returns to Wittenberg, or he becomes Dean of Theology at the University of Wittenberg until he dies in 1546 at the age of 63. And just to note, and it's exactly what Ryan had said, that what really led Luther to rebel against Rome 
was his enlightenment of Romans 1, 17 and 18, which tormented him into a state of depression until the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to the true meaning of this verse. We'll discuss this in much more detail when we look at sola fide. Then, the last note here, the heart of the Reformation was really justification by faith alone. That was it. Carol. Does anyone know if the Catholic Church still sells indulgences today? Yes. Yes. Somebody, I would not doubt it one bit. But I wasn't aware of that. Not Chris. all Catholic churches. But some. Okay. In fact, there's actually quite a... I have, in my business, I work with a lot of churches, so I had lunch with a priest about a month or so ago. They kind of got into this very discussion. And there's quite a bit of movement from the Catholic Church back to the Orthodox uh, beliefs. And so a lot of these issues were being currently hotly debated, you know, among the Orthodox and Catholic, there's quite a bit of movement, you know, away from uh, papal authority, papal authority, and all kinds of issues. So there's there's lots of different movements going on within the Catholic Church. Uh, so there's, there's not just one brand, like there is a brand of Protestantism. Are you suggesting there's other denom- there's denominations within the Catholic Church? <laughs> yeah, but there, it is, there's not denominations, but there certainly is a lot of different. There's a lot of different ideas from different. They've got their own um, charismatic movement. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of things going on. That, you know, so you can be a little careful just to lump everything together in a negative way. There yeah. are some real positives that have been done. That's a very good point. Thank you. The Pope does offer them periodically for money. I don't know if he charges. I'm just just saying he offers them. I don't know (laughs) because the Catholic Church still holds to purgatory and still part of their theology. So got to get out of there somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know the Pope offers it for money. Jet airplane, real estate. Okay. Let's go to Sola Scriptura. What is meant by these two words, and are they really important? B.B. Warfield, a noted theologian, Princeton professor, and author, that many conservatives, Presbyterians, consider to be the last of the great Princeton theologian before the 1929 split that formed Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, said this, Sola Scriptura is the cornerstone of Protestantism, and on it, Protestantism stands or falls. Albert Moeller, 
president of Southern Baptist Seminary, says, Without the authority of Scripture, our theological convictions are merely conjectures, and our preaching is nothing more than a display of human folly. If Scripture is not true, then what does that say about God's grace, about Jesus Christ, about faith, and about God Himself? If Scripture is not true. Yeah. On Scripture, the other folas stand. This, of course, is what ignited the firestorm of the 16th century, known as the Reformation, that according to Scripture, sinful man can be justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law of the Roman Catholic Church and their teaching. It is the affirmation that Scripture is the ultimate authority for life and doctrine. That brings us to a good question. Why is that? Why is Scripture the ultimate authority for our life and doctrine? It is God's breathe. It is the Word of God. Any other thoughts about that Yes, yes, and we'll look at that very shortly. But it is the ultimate authority for life and doctrine. It is as true yesterday, beloved, as it is today, as it will be tomorrow. It will never change. Why? God God never changes. Okay, what B, what does Scripture say regarding adding to or taking away from God's Word? Or is it really, you know, no big deal? I mean, we have people today that say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I don't believe that it was a virgin birth. I don't believe in creation. Uh, I don't believe he's the only way to heaven. It's sort of pick and choose theology. You know, I'm going to pick this part, but I'm not going to pick this part. Now, what do you say to that? Well, you're, you're changing the authority. That goes back to your first, that previous question. Um, you're now the authority. Which... Yeah, you become the authority. Uh, let let me read a couple of verses here for you of what the New Testament says about both. Romans three thirty one. 
Do we then overthrow the law by our faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in? Then 1 John 5, 3 through 5. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay. So I guess the question is then, um, are there consequences to those who add or take away from His Word? Are there? Well, let's look at Scripture. Proverbs 35 through 6. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words, lest He rebuke you, and you will be found a liar. And you know what the Lord says about lying? He said, in Scripture it says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him, haughty eyes and a lying tongue. Now let's look at Revelation 22, 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. God takes seriously about people who add to or take away from his word. The reformers saw that the words of Jesus to the Pharisees applied equally in their day. And Matthew, Matthew says, Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. The ESV reads, So far, the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. This is actually Jesus speaking. Then, what did Jesus say about Scripture and its authority? I love this. Jesus, at the beginning of His public ministry, faced temptations of the devil in the wilderness. Uh, Here, the Son of God... The God-man himself faced temptations that make our temptations 
look like trying to steal from a candy jar. Someone read this, would you please? Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written to men, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the angel took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. What did Jesus say to Satan four times? Written. It is written. He referred to Scripture. Here's the Son of God being tempted. Uh, Did he appeal to Christian tradition? No. The authority of the rabbis? No. Even to his own divinity? No. He could have, but no. Or even the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? No. Our Savior in the face of extreme temptation... Turn to Scripture, the written Word of God. This is all he needed to say. It is written. It is written. i tell you what we're going to do. We're going to stop here and pick up next week with Roman numeral number three, God's Word under fire yesterday, and it's under fire today. And it will be tomorrow. And what we can do about it, how we pray about it. Um, let us do that. Because we don't have enough time to go through number three. So, with that said, thank you again. Would you close us, my friend? Okay. Sure, you can. Um, well, I, I just thought it'd be interesting with what you just read to maybe not a question, but a comment for discussion. So we have a minute. Um, we can sympathize with the tension between scripture and tradition because you have to have some. I mean, we're appealing to tradition at this point, in some sense, that the reformers uh, recognize what scripture was said is true. Okay, and we don't. We don't in one sense, look at tradition and say that it, it is infallible as the Word of God. It's not the same. 
Um, so we understand the tension there, but we recognize that Scripture is always needed, always has, is the authority, but is also needs context and community to pull out and to understand what it says for every generation. Mm-hmm. And I would just like to hear how people, what y'all think about, um, our challenge isn't so much um, getting behind a universal system. It's, 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 it's the in- hyper-individualism that we deal with. So, because what we're saying here is we do need to be connected to a body of people who subscribe to this. Um, you know, by, by agreeing to Sola Scriptura, but also to the Reformation, is, is to agree with hundreds and hundreds of years who, of people who have gone before us and, and, and holding to that body. And I can't help but think how that's, that's true in, in this sense, but our practice is, in one sense, the way we do church is, well, I'm, you know, I'm just going to go start my own church and we're going to go from here because we are skeptical of this body of believers, too. And so, um, you know, we'll just get in our cars and go down the street to another place. And so I guess I'm just curious how, how do, uh, does, do others feel that tension? How do you all see this shaping the way that we do practice church? Um, meaning, uh, you know, are we going to a place because it's got good coffee or, you know, a pretty building or this is just a cool place to go? Um, or are we really looking to be part of a place that is bigger than itself, that's connecting itself, which means that we submit ourselves as well to this teaching. Um, because we recognize that you know, if we were to just kind of go rogue, for example, and just do our own thing, would kind of be contradicting what we're talking about here. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just curious if there's any thoughts about that, uh, how our hyper-individualistic culture conflicts with what we're actually trying to believe in, um, in the solas and the Reformation. But that's... We don't have time for that. That's fine. I was just curious what people would think about that. Um, you mean that the people go still holding the scripture? Yeah. But just wanting things sort of their own way and yeah. their own form of church. Could be, but I think yeah. that it goes deeper than that. It's not just form, but it maybe it's it's this idea that we're gonna get it's almost a Gnosticism. We're gonna we're gonna go start our own thing and get our own thing going because this is what's true and we're gonna get to the heart of what's what, what's real. Supposedly based off of scripture. Um, and, and part of what I'm getting at is it helps, as I'm listening to you, it helps me realize the importance of being connected to even a denomination, which is not a cool thing today. It's just not. Um, the importance of being connected to, you know, we're going to look at the history of even the Presbyterian Church splitting with Westminster Seminary in 1929. Mm-hmm. Like, how important it is to say that I belong to that, even though in our hyper individualistic culture, it's not cool to be a part of institutions and denominations but at the same time what we're saying is we need those things because they preserve this line of thinking that we have to have um and maybe i'm preaching to the choir here in some sense but i'm just curious have y'all thought about that and uh and if you have what, what have you thought about it and yeah i think you i think you're really right I, I really agree with that i think it's very easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater so the great schism in 1024 happened as a result of a shift from councils working out these doctrines together, you know, and coming up with the the Nicene Creed, you know, it took, you know, hundreds of years of incredible debate of scholarly people. Then they said, this is the essence of what we believe. Mm -hmm. And it morphed from that to uh, one person, you know, the Pope, 
saying, I have authority, and that, that authority and that power, I think, you know, helped lead them into great corruption. Uh, and, and so there was a somewhat of a correction. But what community does is community helps us to not be led astray by a in, an individual. And I think we stand the same uh, potential danger in the church today when we have an individual say, uh, Scripture alone, and he reads it and he says, this is what I'm telling you Scripture alone says. And then the next guy gets mad and he says, no, this is what I say Scripture alone says. And then the next guy says, no, this is what I say Scripture alone says. So part of the fallout of the Reformation is that it, you can abuse Scripture alone and uh, say, it's my view of Scripture alone. Mm -hmm. And then you have all of these different breakoffs versus what I think you were saying, the value of a community is the, that ability to debate, to, to wrestle, to work together. And there has to be something larger as a community that, you're, uh, that you wrestle with these things through. And maybe I'm taking it in a different direction, but that, that community is vital. Otherwise, you have individuals and you see all these different cults spring up uh, after uh, scripture was published in common language uh, and after the Reformation. So, I mean, it, there's some good and bad on both sides of the point. So instead of having one pope, we've made a billion popes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just speak for thought. We'll let the more, maybe we have to dismiss and talk about it. Well, it is why what? there's so many Protestant denominations. We have theological difference doesn't mean we can't be brothers and sisters in Christ but we disagree over the interpretation I've thought about this in light of popular culture and stuff, we don't have a spokesman we have, pop, we have famous some well known people but we don't have a head of the Protestant church mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we don't even have a head of the PCA church <laughs> But well, we have the GA. That's I mean, if you were, if the news media called on somebody, he has no authority to speak for the PCA unless there's been a motion at General Assembly. Yeah. On his own. Well, that's a good think about that then between now and next week. And uh, I will be gone. I'll be out of town. But bring you, bring you the solutions. <laughs> we'll record. But just food for thought, I think it's, it's a good thing to consider as we keep talking about this because I was, I'm always interested in knowing how this, re, how we respond to this uh, with our culture, which is very different than what their culture was. So. Okay. And we'll finish this up next week. Then we will look at um, the Protestant denomination versus Catholicism and the differences there. And then we'll go on and look at the... Uh, canonization of scripture then we'll wrap it up then Wait, that's, that's, that's next week next week gotcha. Is saying? Mm -hmm. yes, and then in three weeks no in two weeks um, Ryan will start with uh, in grace alone in grace alone okay which we all need you want to pray? Oh, you want me to pray? Yes. Sorry. Yeah, do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for...
your truth and your word and how you preserve it and how you preserve your church um, to be sustained by it and um, and how with all that has transpired these many, many years, uh, we still have it, we still can read it, and we can know its truth, and uh, we can know you uh, because of it. So uh, as we continue along here, would you be with us and continue to teach us and show us um, the value and um, the, the authority uh, of your word and, and how it alone is a grace to us to have that. Um, we pray this uh, as we head into worship as well, that you would prepare us for that, that you have been preparing us for that this week, uh, and that our thoughts and our actions would be glorifying to you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. 